Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's never been easy to cross the border between Mexico and Texas without documents by foot. But I called up Ben Wormond of the Houston Chronicle to explain why this journey has gotten more dangerous in just the last few months. Ben said, start with a river. In a border town like Eagle Pass, Texas, at certain spots, it's technically possible to wade across the Rio Grande, but people still drown in it. If you make it, you'll be greeted by a high-stakes obstacle course. First, there are big red buoys with netting underneath, sort of a floating border wall. Then there's the concertina wire. Once I hit the land, am I home free? No. If you arrive where the wire is, there's a lot of it, and you would have to find ways to crawl over it or crawl through it. I mean, in a lot of places, you see shirts and jeans and clothes that have been sort of thrown over the wire to make it more crossable. There's fence that's up um, in a lot of places uh, that you would have to get across. You'd have to then cross these ranches to make it to the highway, which is is not too far, but um, you're not you're not exactly there yet when you reach the the banks. There are pictures of what this can do to a migrant's body. The usual scrapes, but also lacerations so deep, they've got to be stapled shut. This is the physical cost of what Texas Governor Greg Abbott calls Operation Lone Star, a two-year effort to, in his words, secure the border. Ben recently uncovered an internal email from a state trooper who claims the governor's project is having disastrous consequences. Well, I mean, to him, he he said that he thought they had crossed a line into the inhumane. Um, and, you know, this was a long, uh, detailed email that he wrote detailing what he saw in a week-long stretch while he was working down there. Take this down for you. This is the headline from our partners at the Houston Chronicle. Texas troopers told to push children into Rio Grande and deny water to migrants. The report cites an email an unnamed trooper sent to his superiors, which reads in... He was documenting. That's what stood out to me. Exactly. Me too. Yeah, he was um, being very careful, I think. And and you could tell from reading the email, too, that he was taking this very seriously. I mean, he stressed several times, I'm a believer in Operation Lone Star. I just don't think we're doing... What we're doing now is not right. In the days since Ben uncovered this letter, the Department of Justice has stepped in told Texas, we're watching you. So are Texas officials chastened right now? Um, I don't know that I would say that. Their orders are not to let people in. You know, that that's the top line here, and that's the goal, is you, you're not supposed to be letting people in. Today on the show, why even some Texans are beginning to question this state's border policy. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. 
This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Maybe first thing, can you, like, close your eyes and describe Eagle Pass? Like, what the town's like? Is it small? Is it big? Like, just for someone who's never been there, which I have not, what's it like as a place? Yeah, it is a small town. It's 30,000 people about that that live there. Um, I mean, we could sort of start on the river. There's a public park and an adjacent golf course, a pretty big stretch of open land. How far is it from like a major city? Is it pretty far? Yeah, it's far. So I drove there from San Antonio. It's a two and a half hour drive, roughly. But it's right across the border from Piedras Negras, which is a huge city in Mexico. Uh, you know, the the mayor told me that 50% of the, the city's uh, revenue comes from international uh, commerce, from, from trucks coming across the bridge and, and all, um, you know, just from talking to, to people in Eagle Pass, I think they go, they cross the border fairly regularly. Um, and, you know, there there is that sort of longstanding, as there are in a lot of these border towns, that sort of connection across the border. Why has it become such a popular place to cross? I think that there are kind of several theories on why exactly it has. I mean, this is a part of the border that for a long time was not a popular crossing spot. Um, So this is a a sort of new phenomenon. I think, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with safety, um, both in Mexico and sort of ease of crossing the river itself. Um, And it just, uh, for years now, this whole sector of the border has become the most popular crossing spot, uh, you know, in a way that it had not been before. Has it sort of taken the region by surprise, the people who live there? Yes, I mean, definitely it has. And, and, um, you know, you talk to to ranchers down there who who say uh, it just is, it makes it, uh, just the situation makes it very difficult for their their sort of daily lives and and their for their wrenches to function. I mean, you have at, at certain points, you know, potentially hundreds of people crossing uh, a day, and a lot of them going through these ranches. You have people getting injured on the land and dying. The email that Ben Wormand reported on tells the story of what happened over the course of one week in Eagle Pass. It was written by a state trooper working as a paramedic as part of Operation Lone Star. In this memo. The trooper talks about one horrifying incident after another. He says he was ordered not to give migrants water, and then relays the story of a four-year-old girl caught in barbed wire who passed out from the heat. The trooper not only complains about the buoys in the water, but alleges there are barrels covered in barbed wire in the Rio Grande, serving as a kind of trap. The state denies that, 
but razor wire has certainly become a flashpoint. Ben says there's even a story of a pregnant person who got tangled up in it. She was having a miscarriage. It described her, I believe, as being um, doubled over in obvious pain. Um, there was the the story about the father who uh, cut his leg open, um, trying to free his child from what he described as a trap, one of those barrels wrapped in razor wire um, that his kid had been stuck on. Uh, obviously, the the suggestion in the email that there was any sort of order um, to not give water, especially in the the heat that Texas has had this summer, it's had very dangerous uh, times record breaking heat for much of the summer. Um, and, and this medic wrote, you know, that that order needs to be uh, reversed. Obviously, like I said, the state contests it, but but that that really stood out um, if there ever was such an order. Can we talk about this allegation that the migrants are being pushed back into the water? Like this comes from a story that the paramedic tells. This is June 25th. Troopers came across a group of more than 100 people camped out along the fence at the border. And there were children, there were babies. The group was tired and hungry. And the troopers call their supervisors to basically say, what do we do? What happened then, according to this email? Right. According to the email, they were told to push them back, um, which the trooper wrote, you know, they didn't believe was right. They ended up uh, leaving and not not doing it. And other troopers and National Guardsmen um, actually did end up letting them in and assisting them, I believe. Uh, the state has said that was a misunderstanding. They've never, they would never direct anybody to physically push anyone, uh, especially children, and that they more meant just push them back, don't let them cross the wire, don't allow them in, essentially, um, not to physically push them. But it, it's sort of part of this broader idea of they cannot let them in, and that's their their ultimate uh directive and so if you've got a group of people that are you know sitting on the riverbanks in in potentially extreme heat begging to be let in uh, and you're told to push them back it's uh i guess it, it, it becomes semantics at that point what what that really means yeah it sounds like so many of these border decisions are just being made by individual groups of troops calling individual supervisors and making one decision or another. And maybe that's the way it always is, but it does stand out to me. Well, and part of what is happening with this um, entire operation is that, you know, these are Department of Public Safety troopers um, who, are, you know, a lot of them are not used to working on the border. They've been sort of rotated in and out of this, this assignment. What's their normal brief? So, I mean, a lot of them work, uh, you know, could work anywhere else in the state as their state troopers. So they're, you know, patrolling the highway or, or you know, whatever they might be doing. And then they get sent down to um, to this sort of unprecedented border operation. Um, and that, you know, the state has said that that is part of why they think there's confusion over what these orders might mean. Um, and, you know, if somebody's working in Dallas, for example, and gets assigned to go down to Eagle Pass for however long, you know, they might come in and not not have the full context to really understand what some of these orders might mean. That's not really a great excuse, though. And <laughs> just that, like, well, they're not experienced. To me, that kind of underlines one of the problems with this operation. Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely highlights sort of why this is this is such a um, 
a, a difference or such a shift, I guess, in, in what, you know, not only in, in border enforcement and border policy, but in, in what, you know, the state agency is doing. So after detailing incident after incident like this, what did this trooper say they wanted? What did they want the government to do differently? Yeah, he detailed, um, you know, some steps that he thought should be taken to uh, sort of prevent injuries, especially around the wired, better lighting, better patrolling, sort of better communication to migrants that it's there. Um, but obviously, he also, you know, he he called directly for reversing the no water uh, directive and called for removing these barrel traps. Uh, he had some pretty, pretty um, direct suggestions for what needs to happen to make this a safer sort of environment. For this trooper in particular, his objections to what's happening at the border, they seem really deeply bound up in his sense of morality, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he uh, says directly, we need to operate in uh, we need to operate it correctly in the eyes of God. We need to recognize these are people who are made in the image of God and need to be treated as such. Um, you know, he said he believes in the mission of Operation Lone Star, but it's uh, crossed over into the inhumane here. So it definitely, yeah, I think he's pretty clear on on why this is so troubling to him. So after all these allegations went public, how did the governor and the Department of Public Safety, how did all of them respond in Texas? Well, they've denied a lot of the um, harshest sort of allegations in here, the most extreme things. The no water directive, for instance, or pushing children into the Rio Grande. They say, you know, these are mis misunderstandings, um, that there's no such policies. But they have stood by the operation. They have, um, you know, Abbott has has uh, stood by the use of this wire, which is really sort of at the center of a lot of this. Um, you know, they say that's because they, they now have the authority to essentially do whatever it takes to prevent bad things from happening on the border under a disaster declaration that the uh, the governor signed when this whole thing started. As a reporter, how much of the government response do you believe? Like, in, I, I think that you can understand there are misunderstandings, right? Misunderstandings happen, choices of words change their meaning. But for instance, this trooper is so clear that there's a policy not to give migrants water. And that's one where the government has come back and said, no, absolutely not. That's not a policy. So when you hear that kind of disconnect, what do you make of it? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to, to square those two things. It seems like this this trooper obviously thought there was a, an order. I mean, being down there um, and seeing a lot of this uh, in action, seeing seeing the razor wire, um, my colleague uh, saw you know this the state say no to some people who were asking for water. Um, it, you know, it, it seems like troopers are told now at least to use their discretion. Um, that's what a spokesperson told us. I mean, he even said they can't give water to everyone because it would encourage more to come. So, you know, I think even if there wasn't a blanket, do not give anyone water, um, it, it seems like there is a lot of scrutiny over who gets it. And it, at this point, is really only children and people sort of suffering from heat exhaustion. Is there any sense that in the weeks since this email was sent, there have been more incidents like the ones that are detailed here? 
Is that happening? Do we know? Would we even know if it was happening? Yeah, it, it absolutely is happening. I mean, the the um, the week that followed, so between July 4th and July 13th, one of the emails that the state released includes, uh, I believe, eight different incidents of people being injured on the wire, having to be sent to hospitals to get uh, staples or stitches. Um, I mean, it included images of some of these injuries and they look they look pretty rough and so that was you know just in the week after um from talking to the mayor in eagle pass there is um the hospital there it's a small hospital but it's been full of people who are suffering from um injuries or heat exhaustion or whatever it might be uh the fire chief told us that you know, there are so many um, calls that from from the border for heat exhaustion and related issues that they have devoted one of their five ambulances just to that. So um, clearly, I mean, there's a lot of uh, this is still happening. You know, the, the, the head of DPS called for a safety audit. They're at least uh, taking these sort of steps, it seems, to figure out what they what they can do um, to prevent these types of injuries. But, you know, they've also stood by it. And it does seem like the ultimate sort of mentality here is that this is is a necessary thing that has to happen to keep these migrants from, from coming here. After the break, the federal government just signaled it's going to get involved at the border. Well, Texas's governor backed down. Hello, listeners. I'm Gabrielle Sierra, host of the Why It Matters podcast from the Council on Foreign Relations. Look, the world of international affairs can feel overwhelming and complex, but it also shapes our lives every single day. So it pays to know what's going on out there. Why It Matters is a foreign policy podcast for the rest of us. And with a little bit of humor and a lot of questions, we're here to break down global topics and bring the world home to you. So join us every two weeks on Why It Matters, wherever you listen. In the latest season of Blindspot from WNYC Studios and the History Channel, join host Kai Wright as he travels back to a pivotal moment in the history of this country. Decades before COVID-19, a virus tore through some of our most vulnerable communities while the wider world looked away. Throughout the season, you'll meet people who demanded that they and their illness be seen. Mothers, children, doctors, nurses, nuns, and sex workers, all leading to a woman who literally helped change the definition of AIDS. Blindspot, the plague in the shadows. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law, and the Supreme Court. The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output bringing you weekly episodes from here on in, because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of Donald Trump, 
the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights, the Supreme Court's latest slate of environmental gutting, gun safety, eviscerating cases on the docket. So follow Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Saturday morning. Okay, so the state of Texas is going to do this safety audit to try to figure out, I guess, whether putting up a lot of razor wire is actually injuring people and how much and all the rest. So how has the federal government responded after these allegations became public? The Department of Justice has said that it is you know, looking into these allegations along with other federal uh, agencies. But they also are threatening to sue the state over the buoys that have been put in the uh, Rio Grande that we were talking about earlier. On what authority? Uh, From the beginning, this has been a a direct sort of challenge to longstanding um, immigration enforcement in in the country. I mean, this is basically for ever, uh, immigration enforcement has been a federal job. Um, there were Supreme Court cases as recently as 2012 that reaffirmed that. The Rio Grande is an international waterway, and, and what happens there affects treaties and falls under international agreements between the U.S. and Mexico. So to have the state just come in and drop some buoys in there is uh, legally questionable. What's Mexico saying about the whole international waters thing, the fact that these buoys are sitting there in the Rio Grande? Mexico is not happy about the, the buoys, for sure. It it seems like it's headed for a lawsuit and it's probably going to end up getting settled in some way in court. The Justice Department actually gave the state a deadline to get its buoys out of the river. The deadline was yesterday. But not only did the state ignore the request, Governor Greg Abbott signaled he was looking for a fight. He wrote on Twitter, Mr. President, Texas will see you in court. This all raises this question to me listening to the back and forth between the feds and the state government, who controls the border? Like, and if multiple agencies and institutions work together to control the border, theoretically, are they working together or are they disagreeing? And how does that play out? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of been the the undercurrent in um, immigration policy here, especially in the last few years, but but for a long time, and the state uh, of Texas has been sort of, you know, the a leader in pushing back on the idea that this is a federal domain and that the federal government is who enforces immigration laws. Um, to the extent that that is leading to issues on the ground, we also were able to get a, a copy of an internal memo that Customs and Border Protection put out saying that this razor wire specifically was a major issue for them, was preventing Border Patrol agents from being able to do their job, from be, being able to uh, reach at-risk um, migrants, you know, and it actually said it's increasing the risk of drownings. It's interesting because until now, Governor Abbott's been able to argue that what he's doing is he's cleaning up the mess the feds are making, right? Like they're they're letting people cross. I'm using his words. I'm not saying I agree. Letting people cross, you know, anyone cross and it's a mess. And so we really need to get down there and clean things up. But it seems to me there's been a shift in the last month or two where if your hospitals are filled with injured people and people are drowning in the river, I don't know how long you can make that argument that you're cleaning things up when in reality people are getting hurt. 
I, I guess I think there is sort of a, he is making a somewhat different argument than that he's just cleaning things up. I mean, he's saying we're defending the border and we're doing what Joe Biden won't do. Um, and so I, I do think he sees it more as they're defending Texas against something. And yeah, the injuries and everything else that, that come along with it. I mean, it seems like at this point, the state is trying to figure out how to minimize that, but but it hasn't shifted the approach at all. There's something else that stood out to me from your reporting, which was that the people who are complaining right now about what's going on at the border seem different than the people who have historically complained about the border. Like these aren't bleeding heart liberals. Like, you know, we talked about how the medic who sent this note that became public. He said he believed in the mission of Operation Lone Star. He just thinks we need to treat people like human beings. You also spoke to this pecan farmer at the border who said straight up, I'm a Republican, but this isn't working for me. Does that represent a shift to you? I I think it does to the extent that I, I think when you are on the ground and you're actually seeing what's happening and you're actually affected by it, um, by all aspects of it, I mean, it, it's a it it's a perspective shift, and it becomes less of the standard, um, you know, talking points uh, about whether or not Biden is doing enough to defend the border, or you know, if Abbott's doing too much, or you know, the politics of it sort of fall away when you just see what's happening. Um, and in the instance of the farmer, I mean, he has uh, the state is taking over his land in a significant way to put up a bunch of wire that uh, is injuring people, which, you know, is bothersome to him. But practically, he can't, he says he can't access parts of his own property because of this. Um, So (laughs) there are a lot of different uh, things kind of floating around there. You know, he's a a Republican and, and believes in private property rights as well, and sees the state sort of trampling that. Um, so, you know, there are different elements to this that are that are frustrating people, I think. Yeah. It, it, to me, it like raises this question of like, who's this border policy working for <laughs> and who is it really set up to work for? You know, m- not the migrants, certainly possibly not the people who live on the border either. It, you know, is it just politics? I, that's a great question. I mean, it definitely seems to be a, a, a politically uh, advantageous thing for the governor. I mean, he he just uh, recently won re-election fairly easily, and this was absolutely a big part of of that campaign and an issue that was raised. Um, so it it didn't seem to bother voters. I mean, you have uh, you know a lot of Texas voters are are very concerned about what's happening uh, on the border. And this is an attempt to respond to that. Obviously, there is the audit and there, you know, are these sort of steps that are being taken to to minimize people getting caught on the razor wire or whatever it might be. But the the governor is clearly doubling down. I mean, he's telling the DOJ, uh, I'll see you in court. Uh, He hasn't shown any sign of wanting to to shift here or do anything different. I mean, I think a lot of this is is going to have to get resolved um, in the courts. Ben, I'm super grateful for your time and your reporting. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Ben Wormand is the Washington correspondent for the Houston Chronicle. And that's our show. 
If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. That is our membership program. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus and sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.